Welcome, everybody. This is The Fall Line with Chaos and Company. And before we get started, as always, I'd like to thank the friends of the podcast and our sponsors, because um, without them, it wouldn't be as easy. And they're definitely super supportive. So hopefully you can support them. And uh, Blizzard Technica, who has supported us now for three years, um, has been awesome. And then also Nick's Boot Fitting, Nick over at Mount Snow, fitting all the boots. And then also Rollerblade with uh, Miles Cotter Sparrow and... Uh, when you're not skiing and we don't have snow, we can get on the rollerblades. But if uh, you can support those sponsors, it helps us and it helps them and it keeps the podcast going. And Angelo, before we get rolling, man, it's been a rough eastern eastern winter so far. But you went west and there's some cool pictures. And mm -hmm. thank you for bringing back the snow and the cold, brother. You're welcome. My suitcase <laughs> is ruined. <laughs> <laughs> I took one for the team. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, we were at... Um, Salt Lake City last Tuesday for a meeting, uh, PSI ASI meeting, and had a little opportunity on Wednesday to cruise up the Powder Mountain. Real generous guys up there took care, nice care of us, and, and even uh, even brought the thunder with the snow. It was it was like headshots, face shots all day long. So, yeah, beautiful time, yeah. beautiful hill. Happy to bring that snow back for you too. Yeah, I heard you get teased because you had an eighty-two. You brought yep. your carbon ski. Yeah. 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 It's right. Right. Perspective is funny. Like that, that's one of my wider skis in my kit. And, and, and uh, Kevin Mitchell, who's the GM at, at Powder Mountain was generous to hook us up with a guide. And, and, and um, uh, she looked at my skis and she's like, you brought your carving skis. And I'm like, those are 82s. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, she, but yeah, we had we had different impressions of what that ski was going to do. But uh, she said, look, how, I, I was like, oh, I have some skinnier ones. And she's like, what's skinny? I said, 69. She's like, oh, my God. <laughs> worthless. <laughs> Never even seen that up here. <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome. But, hey, this is going to be a great podcast today, folks. We have Christian Avery, who is Blizzard Technica's product manager of North America. And he is here to chat with us about all the new stuff that's coming out. And, and uh, it's going to be awesome. If you're a gear person or you want to know what's new, um, we've got the guy here that knows all the stuff about it. And it's great to see you, Christian. Likewise. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. So, so we, we got to ask you, because I know a little bit about you that I, and um, I know our listeners love the question of how you learned how to ski and was it with family or friends or with your buddies? And, and when was the first time? How old? Uh, unlike many people, you know, my family was not a generational skiers. Mom kind of picked it up in high school as a hobby and then kind of left it alone for a long, long time. Then, uh, then when she had kids, we were living in the North or she was living in the Northeast and kind of decided, well, you know, everyone skis in the Northeast here. So might as well introduce them to the sports. So at about two or three years old was the first time that I got on snow. And, uh, it was one of those things. She didn't know anything about ski racing. She didn't really know any of the other categories of skiing, but. You know, new as a fun activity to slide around with. So she taught me kind of the first time when I was two or three and then put me right into the uh, the ski school, the, the kind of local programs. Oh, that's cool. And I know you, you've done a lot of racing through your young age and growing up uh, through some of the academies and, and with the high school and then absolutely in the uh, at Clarkson University race for them. Yeah, it was good fun. I mean, ski racing is uh, is an incredible sport for both just, you know, how it humbles you, but also you can have incredible highs at the same time. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I kind of progressed from the, the ski schools there right into the racing programs. It's kind of like the linear progression in the in the East anyways. It's like if you want to keep, you know, progressing in skiing, you immediately just 
jump in one of those racing programs. So I uh, was with Ford Sarah and then migrated to Ford Sarah Academy. And, uh, you know, funnily enough, we'll actually probably talk about it later on. But Leslie Baker Brown, uh, who's now the, the global director of our Women to Women program, was actually my coach um, in middle school and into high school there for a little while, which is a... <laughs> Just funny connection to make back and incredible. They, they let me work here after, you know, her meeting me in uh, middle school and high school and seeing what a, what an annoying brat I was. That so, uh, and, and you've been an athlete your whole life. Cause I, there's a lot with cross country running. I think you did that through high school. And, um, I don't know if you're still today, but I, I know I've seen some things on your Facebook posts in the past of doing some pretty heavy duty, uh, runs out there challenges. Was it one at Killington? The, yeah, try to stay active as much as possible. You know, did the cross country team through high school as a kind of counter seasonal uh, thing for ski racing, and then got a little bit more into weight training. Once I graduated, kind of started uh, jumping into some, some Spartan races and things like that. So those like obstacle course activities. Did that all, all the way up until I ended up uh, training and, and basically just did a marathon. And after I did a marathon, I pretty much haven't touched running since. That was kind of like I got my fill out of it. Now I'm uh, now I'm pretty heavy on the mountain bike side of things. That's kind of my uh, my uh, counter seasonal sport of choice now. Oh, that's cool. So we're here to talk skis and boots, and and we're super excited because um it's been a great relationship with Blizzard Technica supporting us for the last three years with the podcast, and um great great stuff, and and I'm I'm amazed. There's so much talk out there. The buzz. I mean, the bowl line going away, going to bed, um for after a decade. I mean, it's and the bona fide has been out there on top of the world for so long, and the Brahma right behind it. The whole line, um what's coming in the anomaly sounds awesome and i've heard some great things i think we should probably start there can you tell us a little about up in the anomaly and the and the line of skis yeah it's a, it's a pretty massive year for us and this is also following a pretty big year last year with brand new rustlers and chivas which are also been you know really important skis in the line for for quite a while now and yeah, it's funny, right? As the world is finding out about, uh, you know, the, the bulls going to bed, I'm starting to sleep a little bit better because we've been working on it for so long. So like the announcement is now out and at least like we're talking about it and, uh, and people are, are kind of grappling with, uh, with that notion. Um, so yeah, for, for us, I mean, on the, on the blizzard side of things, it's, it's essentially just starting, uh, you know, in a, in a fresh direction, a kind of new path for our identity in the all mountain space, which is, uh, you know, certainly not something we, we take lightly. Like it's a collective inhale anytime you're, you're putting some iconic names to bed and, and trying to establish a new name that people don't know when they're walking into shop, if they're not, uh, not necessarily paying attention to what's going on from blizzard, but. For us, it was it was really the right time. I mean, we've had Brahmas and Bonafides and Kochis for for almost a decade plus at this point. Um, and so for us to kind of do what we wanted to do in the category and change the skis the way we wanted to and have them kind of talked about different, uh, thought about a little bit different, how they work with the rustlers and Shiva line on the on the Black Pearl side as well, we really felt it was important to to kind of change the narrative within that category. And that came with a new name there. So Certainly not done lightly, but uh, also hopefully done uh, transparently enough that anyone who's, uh, you know, Cochise, Bonafide, Brahma, Absolute, Maven out there um, can go get a pair while they're still in stores right now before ultimately the new ones come next fall. Yeah, and, that, and that's always the, the fear. I know I know, as a skier that some skis I love, and I'm like, oh, I love this ski. And the Bonafide and Brahma, especially in that line, have just been 
and 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 all skiing people just love that whether here in the east or out west and um so what are some of the specific changes i know there's some things in shape there's there's some different lengths um and even the widths have changed slightly on a couple of models going from like the 82 brahma is and um the anomaly is not 84 for the bottom of the width and then goes up to uh 90 90 88 and then the 94 and then i think 102 uh, yeah, that's the that's the full anomaly line there, and yeah, I mean, uh, absolutely every single piece is new compared to uh, to what had been the Bull series. There, brand new molds, brand new shapes, um, updated rocker profiles, new constructions. You know, it is it is a top to bottom overhaul of the whole category. So, lots to unpack there for sure. But um, you know, <laughs> years of work going into it. So, yeah, like you said, I mean, just starting from the the waste width there, our, our general thought was. And also we'll probably talk about it a little bit later on, but to, to clarify our all mountain line a little bit, we wanted to move that 82 just a little bit more into the kind of all mountain space, which is probably closer to that 85 to hundred something pocket there. So two millimeters, certainly not, not changing the game, but getting a little bit away from say the system ski sort of perception of the, uh, the front side world there, 88, kind of that like central benchmark of like, you know, you have an 88 in your quiver and that's your groomer ski or slightly softer snow one. Um, one of the bigger changes is the bonafide that had been 98, then 97, now in the anomaly 94. That's a pretty sizable waste with change on that side to, um, try and sequence it a little bit better. It's the kind of culmination of two years of moving both the Rustler waste widths around and making room for these. So last year, Rustler nine went from 92 up to 96. And that was making actually room for this ski to slot in at 94, kind of feeling like there's probably a mental line of demarcation in that all mountain space around 95 millimeters. So let's get that, you know, wider than double TI ski more planted in the kind of core all mountain world of, uh, of sub 95 millimeters. But at the same time, I say all that we're also a brand that, you know, kind of identifies as having that wider chargier double TI ski too. So, you know, as terrifying as that the Kochi's 106 is going away for, uh, for those athletes and people that really love that ski, we've got the anomaly 102. So, you know, if a Russell 10 isn't quite enough for you, We've got the double TI, even more powerful, like, you know, really pretty impressive ski there too. So try to slide it a little bit more into the all mountain space, but also, you know, let's say, even though it's completely new, keep some of the heritage and through important through lines of the bull line into the, uh, into the anomaly line here. And there's, there's plenty of metal still in it. And it was pretty interesting. I, I saw some stuff about how you're layering the metal and there's three layers, but then I think the top layer um, is in two separate pieces. Yeah, well, we, we kind of jokingly, jokingly, or at least in a more fun way, refer to it as flux form because, I mean, we could have obviously assigned any number of technical acronyms. The prior Russell version of it was DRT, which is dynamic release technology, which, you know, for anyone to remember, like you'd have to be a pretty big fan of Blizzard to, to bother to learn the acronyms that were thrown out there. So at the very least, flux form was a more fun one to say when you're describing a technology. But in reality, what the goal is, is to really try and create a ski that's got all the benefits, the dampness, uh, the stability, the, the confidence on, uh, you know, mixed terrain and, and variable snow conditions of metal, but to lay it up in a much more, let's say, versatile, playful way. So we started messing with the concept as we were developing the Russell line of skis, um, which, you know, that prior version of DRT just had the metal that kind of tapered into the uh, into the forebody of the ski and then ended at a certain point. The new version of that was the Tetanol stripes that ran all the way to the tips and tails and then weren't connected to allow that ski to be more torsionally soft in and out of the turns. We adapted that into the all mountain line, trying to give it a little bit more of the, let's say, free ride versatility of the Russell line while still maintaining that quantity of metal to, to still have that confidence. So 
like you said, what you've got in the anomaly line there is three individual stripes of tetanol. All three of those run the full length tip to tail uh, in the anomaly skis there. So quantity wise on that highest layer there, you have a full sheet as it were, uh, but because it's broken up in those three individual layers, they really allow themselves to kind of shear against one another and interact in a little bit more free flowing kind of way from one another. So again, like I've said, the point being that you've got the stability and confidence of metal, but it's not sort of like locked in and portionally stout as you're rolling into the turn there. Um, below that, true blood wood, wood core, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later on. And then on the lowest layer of the, uh, of the anomaly skis there, you've got that full sheet of TI on the very bottom, really close to the, to the wood core. So still double TI skis, if you want to kind of boil it all down to that, as far as to the, the quantity of metal on there, but done in quite a different way, um, that we've been working on for three plus years now at this point. Yeah, and I had to reach out. I reached out to a few of the team members, our, our PSA team members at Ski on Blizzard, and I uh, heard back from like Bart, Bart Flynn, and heard back from George Flynn, Mike Hafer, and they chatted about the anomaly. And, and some of their quotes were, were interesting because they're like, they were nervous, like, is it going to change? Like, we're used to that power in the Blizzard ski, but all of them were, you know, like uh, Hafer had it mostly on on hard packed snow they didn't have a lot of snow when he was testing it out and he was amazed i mean his quote was the skis were very stable at speed and shockingly the width did not feel like it was too much for the front side testing ground um but he he's super psyched to get into the off piece because it was so stable but didn't feel that wide um yeah. and then and then bart was was super psyched because he him and george felt it was really still playful and it was actually more playful uh george's comments were that it it released easier but it wasn't that it didn't have edge hold it held as well or better but it it, it really seemed to release when you want it to well that's awesome to hear from all of them uh, mike and i actually had an awesome day at Vale uh back in i guess that was november now it feels like forever ago <laughs> that's probably only uh, a month and a half ago now um and yeah i mean it was mike's first impression he kind of got like the cold open after like not really hearing anything about the skis and then gets handed a, a 188.94 was like, away you go. What do you think? And yeah, I mean, he was super excited. We had some good testing conditions there. So awesome here. Even after some more time on it, he wasn't just, wasn't just being nice to me on that day. He actually genuinely likes them too. <laughs> um, yeah. On the, on the comments in general, like, I mean, the, the all mountain category is a weird, weird category in the industry, right? Like you've got such a broad spectrum of skis in that space from ones that are kind of like metalist narrow free ride skis that are like you know really pretty soft snow oriented but come in a in a narrower waist all the way to probably ourselves in the prior version where you know they are stout almost like kind of wider wider race skis so you know when when evaluating the category but also you know more importantly maybe evaluating blizzard's uh presence within that space i mean the first thing that rightfully so everyone would be nervous about was like, oh, was it just going to nerf the bowl line and totally move it into the uh, into the center mass of just easy and you know whatever skis and and for us it was really important to keep that that through line of who we are as a brand. I mean, we're a performance brand that that makes skis that you know the PSI national team guys can get on, but also at the same time like you know X racers and weekend warriors can all have a good time on. And so while it's an incredibly complicated endeavor to make skis that work for the some of the best skiers in the world at the same time as they work for the people that you know aren't that into it and just want to get out on the weekend. For us, it was it was really important to try and achieve that. So that's why a lot of the mental updates that are there. That's why you see us talking about the three lines of what the old bull skis um, kind of did. Also in the in moving into a new direction where we're trying to open up that versatility, but keep that same level of performance. So no small feat, but uh yeah, at this point I'm feeling like we uh we did hopefully a pretty good job. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, Angelo, man, it's it, from the comments I heard, and I talked to George on the phone last night, George Flynn, and it's, I think you can be more of an artist on the ski than the uh, old bull line. And, you know, Angelo loves that, that the style and, and loves us to be able to be able to versatile, but even the top sheet, man, that graphic's pretty awesome, Angelo. That's a fantastic graphic. There's no question. And I, I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, like, I'm going to have to try all these. <laughs> you know? But, um, and and it's it's funny, Christian, when you were you were talking about that variety of all mountain skiing types, I was just thinking as you started to talk about that, the difficulty of designing a, an all mountain ski. Just consider the United States, the width of the United States, and the differences in terrain and conditions and snow and all that stuff. And I'd love to be a fly on the wall in some of those conversations on how you do that. Like any any. Uh, any insights you can give into that, I think folks will be interested in hearing. Like, how do you land on? Like, how do you just say, all right, we've tried these and this is the one that's going to work in the most places? Yeah, the, the, the simple answer is, is teamwork, which is maybe, you know, not that sexy of an answer, but is, is, it's truly the one that we have, uh, you know, at the global level, we have a pretty incredible team that, um, you know, genuinely listen to the feedback of North America. When we're talking about all mountain skis, I mean, we're, we're talking about pretty North American centric skis. So while we're, mm -hmm. we're an Austrian brand at heart, we have a global team of people that not only really listen to and respect that feedback uh, that's coming out of our market, but also more importantly, can take that feedback translated into something you know tangible that hopefully lives up to the notion of best skiers in the world can get on it but at the same time you know works for the for the weekend warrior there so it's a ton of feedback and kind of self-reflection and, and and honest critique about what's working well and what's not working well with our skis kind of trend analysis of what's going on from competitors with the skis they're launching but also just you know talking to people about how skiers are changing i mean that the market has changed quite a bit in the last last five years with more people getting into the category kind of resort dynamics changing um and then honestly just you know trying to work through and, and really keep clearly in our mind like who we're building skis for i mean at the end of the day um it's almost easier in some ways to build a really athlete specific project uh when it's you know a very specific group of people you're targeting at versus all mountain skis that like we said is a pretty broad audience but at the same time when you even when we're talking about a massive category like all mountain we you know blizzard and really try to have a, a specific notion of who within that category we're speaking to and you know you, you can't make a ski that absolutely everybody at the end of the day is going to love but you can try to make a ski that hopefully is different hopefully has a story behind it and hopefully has a has a performance and an appreciation that that at least stands out from from the rest there that isn't just a oh yeah you know this ski is interchangeable with xyz competitor models there so no small feat for sure but it's a lot of you know honest self-reflection tough conversations and at the end of the day like really strong global team to be able to to do it and and, and i would imagine um you the conversations have to be pretty agile like especially considering how the market, how the outdoor industry has changed as a result of COVID and people like new people becoming enthusiasts in whatever sports that had to just completely accelerate those conversations uh, on your end. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it requires a, a nimbleness on the development side that, uh, you know, is sometimes not beloved by the production side of the world that, you know, has quotas and like uh, timelines to meet in order to, to get to the product to, to market there. But 
yeah, again, it's the it's the global team that we have that uh, is constantly listening for that feedback. You know, everybody's got a you know a can do attitude associated with it. When uh, you know, even right before this call, we were messing around with the sizes of a future project and like totally reinvented the curve we're on there. And you know, it's one of those like, yep, that has pretty big implications for uh, for mold timings and kind of development. But like at the same time, everyone's like, well, is it the right thing to do? If yes, then like that's what we're gonna do. Like that's. Yeah, it's no small feat for sure to to be that nimble and agile, but it's also how we work as a brand in order to be able to to deliver the products that that we're proud of. Dave, you so, mentioned that artwork. Do you mind talking yeah. about the artwork, Christian? It's it's terrific. And anybody who hasn't seen it, like I'm looking at it, I'm I'm totally getting an EK like an like an ECG vibe, electrocardiogram <laughs> vibe off of that, <laughs> off of those mountain ranges. But like I'm looking at it sideways and it's like, it almost looks like Batman. I'm getting this like stealthy Batman. I'm going to swoop in vibe from the, from just the middle of the ski, but there's also some little hidden gems up toward the tip and the tail there. You want to talk about that Christian? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, going along with the, with the name change is also kind of a, a visual change for ourselves within the, in the space. I mean, uh, you know, the all mountain category, especially the last couple of years, because it's so competitive and there's so many people in there, like, you know, there's kind of a, an established, um, let's say an aesthetic in that space. Like, you know, even people using kind of consistent color palettes and, um, you know, consistent, fairly safe uh, graphics because there's so many people buying them. And so for us, with, with moving in the direction of Anomaly, which not only has something to do with the, the performance, the way we're going to talk about them, we also wanted to really have a kind of visual anomaly there. And uh, and the funny thing was, I mean, we, we spent a ton of time working on graphics, looking at different proposals, some totally off the wall and really crazy some you know more on the safe side that would um you know not necessarily live up to the anomaly side for us it was it was quite easy to make a ski and a graphic that uh that you could say was an anomaly when you put it on the wall amongst competitors quite difficult to make one that is an anomaly that everyone really liked it was like oh that looks good and is an outlier from from what we've seen in the space so at the end of the day the, the graphic that we've got here is one we're, we're quite happy about it we're, really excited being able to uh both kind of stand out on the wall hopefully a little bit with some of the the colors and the top sheet materials and the aesthetic uh but also have a little bit of a story associated with it so hopefully i don't know how well the, the skiers or the, the listeners can uh and viewers can see the ski behind me on the wall here but there's kind of like the wasatch wiggles going down the, the length of the ski there um the idea being like you know that's the powder farm that the kind of slope that uh everyone's just like making the same turns over and over and over again kind of the the every turn if you will and then the big white line on this uh, uh 102 here is that like anomaly skier just like making their own turn skiing over everyone else's tracks so, i mean we use the the term the skier that's making four turns where everyone else is making 40 to kind of nod to like the mindset as much as anything else within the category so try to represent that a little bit within the uh in the graphic each one of the different waist widths because obviously the, the radius is changing by waist there has a different number of turns that they're making across the uh entire slope there um 102 obviously being the fewest turns 84 kind of being the uh the most turns and then yeah we've got that sort of graph across the uh the middle there that you know the the spikes that people can maybe see like that is exactly that like you've got this consistent line graph hopefully on a rise uh but at some point you know something happens and there's an anomaly spike within there so you know just trying to like let's say bury little easter eggs here and there that hopefully the graphic unto itself stands out and is interesting but at the same time once you kind of understand a little bit more you kind of understand uh even more how it's trying to be an anomaly unto itself yeah i think hit it out of the park with the colors too yeah Thank you. Especially it. the purple, right? <laughs> I yeah, I love that purple ski, but I'm like right now that I've got the um the 84 and the and the 88 on my screen and that blue 
man, that mm. that blue, that electric blue color, I'm like a moth to a flame with that color. And, and then that, <laughs> that it, it looks like an orange on my monitor, but it, man, yeah. it pop. That's such a good looking line. Hey, that awesome. blue will go with our jackets next year, Angela. It'll look so nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and I don't think people realize, like, they go, oh, this is their new ski this year. They, you know, made it this year. I mean, this was had to be a multi-year, multi-part. Like you, you were talking about, it's coming from multiple different skis. You already have some of that technology went into this. Yeah, I mean, I've had the, the title of product manager, I guess, for uh, six years now. And it was really five years ago when we kind of started the trap down the track of like, all right, we know we're updating uh, Russell and Shiva. And then shortly thereafter, probably the all mountain skis are, are, are coming along with that. So even at that time, as we were figuring out, you know, the self-reflection, how are we changing the free ride skis? We were doing it in the notion of like, all right, what are, what are some of the things we already maybe know we want to clean up or change or re-identify within the all mountain space there. So, you know, I would say even five years ago was the first time we started putting waste widths on paper, kind of assembling the laundry list of things that we wanted to change a little bit. Obviously, we're finding and getting feedback, kind of like bouncing that list off of people. And then really three years ago, at the same time as we were uh, prototyping Rustlers and Shivas, there were some sneaky ones in there that, you know, in like some of the like selfish fun things that are, are fun as the product manager were like, you just have a bunch of prototypes in front of you and like hand them out to people and like do some of the testing and like totally don't tell people what is in those skis to just get some <laughs> feedback. There were a couple in there that had like uh, some of the ideas that we've used into into the new all mountain line here to even do a little bit of kind of future testing and, and, and research on the new anomaly line here. So we were doing a little bit of testing even as we were going through with Russell and Shiba three and four years ago. And then in the last two years has really been when we've dialed in like, all right, like we know exactly what the wastewoods are. Uh, we really know kind of the construction direction and feeling we're trying to achieve here. And then it's just testing, 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 getting as many people on those skis, you know, again, like not being scared that if you know, you're getting some negative feedback or not liking exactly what something's doing, like, you know, fully be ready to, you know, make whatever changes are needed to get those skis to, to where they need to be. So it's been a lot of work, a lot of testing, a lot of feedback, a lot of sleepless nights, knowing that we're putting names like Bonfide and Brahma to bed, but you know, with all that, you know, again, like the, the skis and how they came out, I mean, we're, we're so excited and feeling like hopefully whenever people have a chance to, uh, to get on them, that there'll be that kind of aha moment, like, oh, I see like why this isn't just, you know, name bonafide and, and, you know, an extension of what we'd already been doing. Like this is a new direction and something fresh and, and really exciting. Yeah. And it isn't just the anomaly and, and the, the Brahmer and the bonafide going away. You came up with like, didn't revise the black pearl it's like a brand new ski brand new black pearl and that must have been i would think even more nerve-wracking because i mean hasn't that ski been like the number one ski of anything in north america for a few years yeah at least the last four or five now it's been the number one selling ski in north america but but i would venture to even say like globally around one one skew specifically that 88 is is you know an unbelievable success yeah. story and so yeah you think i lost a little bit of sleep working on that ski we should get uh leslie baker brown back on the podcast and talk <laughs> yeah. about how much how many sleepless nights she had uh she has had you know knowing that we were fresh in those skis and so you know that that conversation is even one that uh that too kind of takes you down the direction of like we know there's some things we want to improve about these skis, but at the same time, like the previous generation of black pearls were were so good on themselves. So, like, how do you how do you take that and you know kind of refresh it, change it, move it in a new direction, and, and at the same time, like bring everyone along with you? Because unlike the sort of Brahmas and Bonafide, we wanted to like sunset that name, that ideology, that voice, that aesthetic, and move in a new direction. Black Pearl is such a successful brand and a, and a fan favorite that 
you know, really felt like we just wanted to keep that momentum rolling. So obviously kept the name there, but made the skis completely new. And with that, I mean, the, the, the terror that it is updating those skis is, you know, reinforced or kind of combated by the, the, the work that we have with the women's group. I mean, the fact that we have this globally assembled group of women that are, you know, have such diverse backgrounds and opinions. And, you know, again, in that sort of like honest teamwork that I was mentioning before, like they are not afraid to tell you when they don't like something. And that is super important as <laughs> you're going through the testing process. So as terrifying as it is to, to kind of update those skis, the, the group that Leslie's assembled and that we have to work with are, are the best in the world to be able to have some self-reflection, look at those skis and, and hopefully take them to the, uh, to the next level there. Yeah. And I know you've mentioned that this is probably the most specific ski you've made for women. Is that how you term it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, so the, the things that have made Black Pearl so special, you know, or what we mentioned there, which is the, the work with the women's group, the fact that we have this, this testing group, this feedback group that work on not only the, the product feedback and the aesthetics and the performance, but also obviously on the voice and the messaging and kind of the, the marketing that goes along with it. So when you have that, you can really take those skis and, and kind of put them in their in their hands to some extent. Obviously, like there's a development team in the background that takes that feedback and actually implements it. But because it's you know they have such a strong um, you know kind of capacity for being able to think critically about product and give you honest feedback. Um, often the way projects go is you start with one sample size, kind of test your side cuts, start messing with constructions. What we did here because we knew that we had the women's group to to really get that honest feedback was. We actually launched an anomaly mold in the 182. It was actually the 94 was the first one there. And we launched a, a black pearl mold in the 170, put them in the hands of the kind of two specific groups and, and kind of let them run. And at that point, you're really managing two separate projects entirely instead of like, you know, kind of going back and forth and you've got, you know, one mold with just different constructions and what you're messing with. You've got two completely independent projects, which is a lot to manage on sort of like the, the product management and development side of things. But it's how you get to the uh, to the finish line here where, you know, we've got brand new Black Pearl skis where they share some of the construction ideologies of Anomaly. But at the end of the day, the, from a, let's say, construction um, uh, layup, there are no two pieces of a Black Pearl ski that are shared with an Anomaly ski. And that is the result of the women's group kind of just taking the reins and like giving clear feedback, testing, going back and forth, making some changes, testing it again and going in a new direction at the end of the day. Like... We've got two two collections of skis here that are completely independent from one another, and especially the black pearls are you know could not be literally more specifically designed kind of by women for women. There. Can you talk about the HRC a little bit? Where that might Mm -hmm. be heading? Um, Yeah, on the on the Firebird line of skis. Mm -hmm. You know, what's been, um, you know, right in front of us for, for a while now is obviously working on the free ride categories, working in the all mountain categories. At the same time, obviously, you know, we've got such a, a wide breadth of, of collection there, um, you know, trying to make some updates in the other categories, you know, where we also know we can we can make some improvements. And one of the biggest ones was, uh, you know, just bringing TrueBlend across the entire collection as quickly as, as we possibly could. So last year in the same year that we updated the, uh, the, the wrestlers and Chivas with completely new molds and shapes, we were able to get some uh, get a different version of TrueBlend into the Firebird skis there, as well as have obviously the HRC go from um, seventy six hundred foot to, to sixty nine hundred foot there. And you know the the incorporation of TrueBlend into any skis really does fundamentally change the uh, the performance of them. But especially putting it in the Firebird line and using uh, some poplar and ash, which ash is a pretty insane wood to be using in general, uh, but is super fun and and has a massive influence over the performance of those skis. So even though a lot of let's say uh, 
you know, sleepless nights and the, and the testing and really kind of reinventing everything was in the free ride space last year, getting Trueblend into the Firebird skis there, hopefully, and I, I think you guys agree, you know, took those skis from already a pretty high performance level just to the next one there. And that just speaks to what Trueblend is capable of in every line. I, I loved the HRC when it was 76 and I couldn't believe how much fun this was at 69 underfoot. We were nervous though, weren't we, Angelo? I was a little nervous. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because I really, I was, I mean, I get it. Like, I, I was attached to that, to that mm. HRC last year and a couple of years before that, but man, this is a machine. It, it, it's fall line oriented and just fun. Just couldn't believe it. Yeah. It, it, you know, Baloo, uh, was, uh, who, who talked about it? So I'm trying to think here. And one of the guys from the team, yeah, it was Jonathan. Jonathan talked about the new HRC and, and he, he, he described it just like that, Angel. It is a, uh, the new shape and width makes the ski feel more versatile and a longer slalom ski. Yeah. He, he felt like he's, he can take it as a slalom ski as he wants, but it's a longer one and, and got the stability. And that's what I feel. I, I was nervous just as Angela was going down to a narrow. I'm going, is this just going to be another WRC? So I got two and it's like, it's not, it's, it's no. definitely a separate ski from the WRC. No, you can't rattle it. I mean, I haven't rattled it yet. Here in the East, I haven't wanted to take it out because of the, uh, the the thin snow after Pro Jam, but it's going back out this week. But no, it, it, that's a rocking ski. So there's got to be, we'll see if he can tell us, Angel. There's got to be something going on with the WRC. I've heard some hints. A few people have said some things. Is there things going on at WRC? When's that coming? Well, I'd say that's from the you know total collection kind of overview. Now that we've gotten... I say through in air quotes, like you're never done with a, with a project. There's always a tail and, and things to clean up. But now I've kind of gotten through the full refreshes of the free ride line, full refreshes of the all mountain line. Uh, I would say we're able to kind of turn our attention to, to those other categories. And I say other categories as Firebird, Thunderbird, Phoenix, even zero G to some extent, like the, the kind of rest of the line, the, the bookends there as, as you know, what are the things that we can now, you know, clean up, change, add, refine in that space. And, you know, I can't can't say too much about what's coming in there, but especially the interaction between Firebird and Thunderbird, that's one that, you know, has been really fun to kind of have some shared molds in between the, the Firebird line, Thunderbird line, different performances between them, and now kind of like mixing and matching the performances a little bit better so that they have hopefully a clear definition from one to another, but also some, you know, let's say more waste with more opportunities within that, within both lines there. So... Hopefully that's vague enough, but exciting enough to uh, to say we're got some stuff coming. It's going to be good. <laughs> yeah, because you definitely have some stuff out on people's feet in that WRC ski testing stuff. I think, right? Yeah, there could be some some out there in the wild if you've got a keen eye for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard some things, saw some things. I saw a pair at the at, in, at Killington in the fall. Yep. But I won't say anymore. I don't want to get in trouble. We don't want to get in trouble, Angelo. I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> but that's kind of, and you mentioned the, the Thunderbird. And that's been a fun ski for me. I mean, the Firebird line, that's where I'm a fan. That's that's my skis that I'm here in the East mostly on. But the Thunderbird is fun, man. You get some great snow out here in the East. It's it's You get on it and the sweet spot is huge. You know, you don't have to be right on top of it all the time. And there's a lot of, that's kind of an interesting section of the line because you got the firebird line and we got all the all mountain stuff and the touring stuff the free ride and then you have that in the phoenix the the, the thunderbird phoenix in that line there and that falls in between it's, it overlaps a lot of people and is it gonna stay is it is it a big line i mean where does it fit in 
it's the it's the challenge of of trying to always build skis for specific people, right? Like we try to look at the the entire collection and also the categories and have again like specific skiers within mind uh, within our you know sort of mind of who we're who we're building for, but at the same time like have the entire collection make sense of one another. So try to limit too much overlapping in waist widths, too much like, well, why would I have that ski if I already have that ski? Like the the idea would be that every single every single model in waist width has a has a reason to live, and that like if money were no object, there would be a reason to have have all of them potentially there. So, you know, Thunderbird kind of arose out of the out of the notion that like if you look at the front side category in general, you have people who are either X racers or kind of like relevant to to the race world there. So like that's kind of Firebird, right? Like it's connected to the to the real race stock. It's informed by some of the the plates, the constructions, the sort of ash wood cores that are the really demanding skis that have that maximum level of performance, but at the same time, you know, unless you're in really good shape, aren't necessarily skis that you would ski like bell to bell because they're going to require you being kind of on top of it, paying attention, you know, really deliberately putting your turns uh, down the slope. And then obviously kind of on the other, like moving farther away, you have that all mountain space where it's like, yes, I want to ski this bell to bell. I, you know, want a lot of performance in my skis, but I also like, you know, when I mess up and I'm jumping into the bumps and into the trees, like I don't want to be punished the way necessarily like a demanding front side ski would. So in between those is where we kind of see Thunderbird and Phoenix living where, you know, we wouldn't refer to them necessarily as all mountain skis, but they definitely kind of blend the space in between like a race frontside Firebird ski and that all mountain space there. So the goal is to build, you know, incredibly premium, high quality skis that, you know, have a ton of performance. And, you know, if you're, you're a Baloo of the world, like you can stomp on that ski, really get it to come around and, and, you know, not totally, not necessarily want something more than that as far as from a performance standpoint, like it's got everything there for you. But at the same time, utilizing True Blend and this sort of like, let's say more forgiving shapes than those skis versus the Firebird line. That at the end of the day, like that could be your skiing. You could ski it all day uh, on trail there, and not necessarily be as let's say punished for for getting tired or off balance, let's say on a on a Firebird line there. So try to have uh, Thunderbird and Phoenix really live up to that, like you know, let's say uh, front side space there, but in a more like let's say you know accessible and all day use kind of application than than the Firebird skis. Yep, punished. <laughs> <laughs> I've been punished. I'm laughing because I've been punished. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's happened for sure. We all get tired into the back seat yep. and you like load it up and you're like, all right, like maybe it's time for a coffee. A <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, little, little different vibe, but I'm, I'm curious, Christian, I've been in some conversations over the last couple of years and like global events are, 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 tenuous and we, we mentioned the pandemic and we all know how that's changed the industry but um in terms of like getting materials have you i, I I'm, I'm under the impression some current global events have made that challenging for manufacturers has is blizzard had to deal with that yeah i mean the the ski industry is is fortunate and challenged by the notion that it is a very small industry so you know on the one hand like you have Kind of direct and awesome relationships with all your suppliers but at the same time you only have a few suppliers so when staff gets sick or you know what is you know our raw material is their finished product so they have raw material behind that when a supplier up the chain from that you know has a has a you know a hiccup or something like that you feel it pretty quickly there so certainly through the through the pandemic and you know the the supply chain challenge that everyone is familiar with we were certainly not uh you know not sheltered from that by any means and you know, half of the the R and D time, as much as you would love that to be like testing new constructions and innovative materials, a lot of that R and D time was spent like, okay, like 
very clearly know how we want the ski to ski. The materials that we were making that ski out of are no longer available. What do you do? So you have to either change suppliers or kind of figure out a new way to do it. So a lot of the R&D time over the last three years is even taking the existing models and kind of reinventing them with different materials, new suppliers and working in that direction. So hopefully, you know, from a consumer standpoint, at the end of the day, like if you grabbed an HRC of uh, of this year and compared it to, or sorry, HRC is not a good example because that one changed last little while ago, but let's say uh, a Thunderbird, for example, that's been a, the, in the line for, for three years now. If you grab the one from this year and compare it to the one to, to three years ago, hopefully the average consumer would not notice a difference. But at the end of the day, like there are also some different materials in there from, from three years ago. So that's just the challenge of, uh, you know, the world we're in these days with, uh, with supply chains and lead times and trying to respond to, to what's happening around the world there. Well, some some good surprises must come out of that with the with that though. You must find a couple products that you put in and get it get an ex, get a result that you didn't expect. Every now and again, we would yeah we would refer to that as a happy accident of like what was beginning to be a headache because you had to completely you know reinvent a ski and try some new materials. You're like oh like actually the supplier has a has a pretty interesting material that that we want to use. I mean the um, it's not talked a whole lot about the industry, like the different fiberglasses and, and pre-preg layers that go into skis, but they have a massive influence over the performance in skis. And that was one of the big ones that, you know, as we were kind of just like working with different suppliers and like, okay, they, this specific blend of, of fiberglass and carbon and pre-pregs aren't available. Like what's the new one you want to try? And that was probably the, uh, the place that we'd have the, the most happy accidents, if we want to call that as far as like, oh, that, that actually was like a pretty interesting change within the ski there. Yeah. So what's your daily driver? Boots and skis. And 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 tell our tell the tell the people how how you like the ski, please. Um so we mentioned X Racer as far as like, you know, the 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 kind of learn how to ski. So it's you know, a lot of my time is spent just making turns around the trail. I'm not uh not much for for the airtime as much as that is an aspirational aspect. It's not uh not necessarily within my my wheelhouse very well. Um so with that, I mean, you know. Let's say uh, race background, but trying to you know uh, broaden my horizons and get you know into the backcountry, into you know the the other parts of the uh, the mountain and, and explore a little better. And that was for me part of the the reason to even get into the industry was to experience the categories and and go places and do things that you know while you might travel a lot and see lots of mountains as a skier, so you don't necessarily get to experience them, and you have a very specific view on a, on the type of skiing. So for me at this point, my my daily driver is still a Firebird R as far as a, a boot. Um, because I like that that forward lean setup. You know, I have a 103 millimeter wide foot, but we're still stepping in a 96 millimeter wide boot because <laughs> that's the fit tension that I that I grew up and kind of uh, you know appreciate and, and got used to. So still in a kind of you know tuned down but but race ish uh, style of boot. But at this point, I mean, my daily driver if it's uh, if it's a sort of like resort day is going to be uh, an anomaly at this point. Now that I can like let's say ski that out in the wild and not you know have to answer questions or defend what uh what i'm doing or if it's a powder day then then grabbing a rustler those are kind of like the two main uh daily drivers if you will but at the same time you know let's say all the all the skis we've mentioned previously whether it's a a firebird thunderbird or you know we haven't gotten into the touring world yet but you know make sure to have at least something in every one of those spaces to try and try and do it all as much as possible right on yeah. And, and speaking of the rustler, the rustler is another one. You know, I, I wanted to ask you, it, it, does Blizzard see all the folks out there putting telebindings on their skis? 
on the bona fides, on the Brahmas. I mean, the Rustler's been a big one. Uh, ski a few years ago that was, that didn't stay around too long. I don't think it was the Bushwhacker that you had that, that was getting, getting telly binds a lot. I've got them on the, on the Thunderbird. I got Alpine and telly on the Thunderbird. Love it. I know Greg Dixon's got the HRC. He's been, I mean, is that seen or noticed? Um, in my space, I notice it most because lots of people asking about, uh, you know, compatibility between a tele binding and, uh, and the, and the, and the skis. You know, how can you mount it? You know, where are you able to mount it? What's the, the correct zone and the, and the pullout force and the tension? So I kind of get like the least fun questions out of, out of tele world <laughs> yeah. there, but the volume of the questions, you know, certainly led me to understand like there's quite a lot of people utilizing the skis in that way and, and, you know, appreciating the, the performance in, the Russell line and the, you know, previous bull line, hopefully the new uh, anomaly line here. Um, but see it, I don't, I think I'm just not necessarily in that space as much as, uh, as, you know, maybe some others are to, to totally see all the telly skiers out there on blizzard skis. But, you know, if they're a fan of the product, you know, I'm a fan of them. So <laughs> we yeah, don't have beef between me and the telly community. <laughs> yeah. Angela and I have a bunch mounted up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah the, that, the Brahma 82 for me is like, I, I just love it as a tele ski. I have an Alpine set up and that, yeah, that, it's, you can't make a bad turn. It, it performs. You can, you can point them straight down the hill and you can, you can mess up and not have your ass handed to you at the same time. I just, I think that one for, for, for my size, my style, the things I like to do, that's just such a, that's such a safe bet, you know, terrific. Cool. Yeah. And as yeah, we maybe, go into the future, oh, sorry, I was go ahead. Say, sorry, maybe in future, future world, like you know, uh, whenever uh, life gets super easy and there's not as much to do, like we'll do some like proper telly like feedback sessions and like see you know what within the line we can change or find better optimize for for the telly world there because yeah, ski side. I mean, it's it's like I said, a kind of an unknown space to me about uh, what we could maybe be offering better in that market. Yeah, yeah. I, I was just going to ask you if you have an uphill setup for you. Oh, yeah. I yeah, got, I got plenty of uphill setups. Yeah, even I happen to be in in Park City right now, uh, getting ready for some trade fairs that are that are next week. And yeah, I made sure to fly with the uh, the zero G setup to to go uphill with. That's been, um, you know, the the diametric opposite of ski racing was kind of starting to to go uphill and explore that space. And that's been one of the the most fun categories for me to to get more into over the last ten years that I've been uh, been working for the company now. And yeah, at the same time working for for Blizzard uh, as a brand. I mean. Blizzard's a fairly young brand into the uh, into the uphill space in general, and so with that comes also like a different perspective on how to build skis there. And yeah, it, it fits quite well with both my history as a skier, but also like you know my kind of understanding and getting more into the category versus people who you know that was their first you know first category that they got into and got familiarized with skiing with. Yeah, and and all the stuff, all the skis we've talked about, and we still have the Rustler line. You've you've got the the uh, Hustler. You got the Zero Gs. I mean. It's just hitting a lot of different categories with a lot of hot skis. Trying to as much as possible. Yeah. Especially, you know, we, we mentioned the pandemic and like the, the implications that had on, on the supply chain, on the collection too. I mean, because there were questions around lift access, questions around, you know, how much do you want to really be standing in lift lines and going in lodges, like the uphill space in general, I mean, got really popular in the last couple of years. And so that's why you saw that the advent of hustle, which was, you know, like, out of the Russell mold, so free ride shape, but done in a in a more backcountry centric way, where those skis are a little bit more soft snow optimized than the Russell line, and then obviously like zero G, where the we've got the pure touring skis, where weight's kind of that top priority. Of course, there's performance; they need to hold up, but like they are really lightweight skis there. And so at the same time as you know, 
Blizzard's only been making touring skis for, I'd say, like nine years now, something something like that in a, in a dedicated way. Uh, you know, the last three, four years here is, you know, the number of SKUs and, and models within that offering, but also our comprehension of how, how people are even using those skis is, has really refined quite a lot. So again, like one of those, I'm going to nod to the future, like lots more to come in the, uh, in the uphill space from Blizzard. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's what I was asking. Cause I mean, Russell's been there and we, we're not seeing anything right now. And, you know, hustle was, was big. What last year when it was the last year it was launched. And then, um, you know, I know you've been making constant changes, you know, improvements with the zero G stuff, but, um, so yeah, there's some stuff next year probably coming. We'll hear in January next year, probably. Yep, most likely you'll be seeing uh, seeing some new uh, updates for us in that let, let's say just call it the the entire walking world uh, kind of yeah. updates for uh, for next year or the year after, depending on uh, on you know your interaction with the wind products deliver. Yeah, now, now it's it's interesting to me. I want to ask you because um, as Angela was asking you about the global the you know, the supply chain and that, um, how much of the secret to you know keeping things secret of what's coming out is sometimes it's like okay we got to make sure we make it where if we aren't able to get certain products we might not get this done. It's it's the game, right? I mean, there's there's a very fine line between like teasing and kind of like sneaking uh, things and like getting people excited um, about something that you're working on that you like definitely know is is going to get finished, is going to be delivered to the market at a certain point. You kind of establish the the deliverables for a project versus like the pure testing, pure prototyping of like, hey, we have no idea where this is going if we're going to do anything with this, and like you know we don't totally want to tip our hand about uh, what we're working on. I tend to think that just myself, like I have a probably, let's say a little bit more liberal kind of approach towards like, you know, skiing is cool. It's super fun. Like we are not just splitting the atom here or working on rockets or anything like that. So like, you know, if you've got something cool that you're, uh, you know, feel good about the performance you're testing, like, you know, it's, it's probably better to err on the side of like sneak and stoke and like, Oh, Blizzard's working on something than it is to like, just totally do it behind closed doors and like, you know, uh, closed glaciers up in the, uh, in the high dolomites there. So. <laughs> Yeah, with that, I mean, it's it's the challenge of like getting the right people on those skis and getting the feedback that you want to be able to vet them thoroughly um, with also making sure that when you ultimately are like done with the project and want to release it and unveil it to the world that like, you know, the catalog didn't leak three weeks before the uh, the embargo date. And everyone's like, yeah, seen those, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and and. It's not just skis. There's boots, and oh, um, those too. Yeah, yeah, the boots, old Technica boots, and you know it, it's been amazing. The, um, the with the the custom adaptive shape liners and, and how that's developed. I mean, that liner every year seems to be tweaked to make it better, um, shape better. Um, I know changed some of the uh, materials the last couple of years to make it easier to to mold that kind of stuff and hold. Um, what's going on with liners? Is there anything coming in the mock line? Yeah, we mentioned on the on the ski side, like that sort of honest self reflection that goes into the into the development process of like you know what you feel like you can improve and and take into the into the next generation there. And CAS Custom Adaptive Shape that's one of those acronyms that might be a, if you know you know one still. But yeah, um, you know that was launched almost a decade ago as well. And the the first ideology of of CAS was like how do we build a boot um, that has the maximum level of performance longevity and customization that you know fits right out of the box there and what we've learned over the last decade and the, and the reason you know we, we keep making incremental changes is we keep learning a little bit better about how to have those different materials interact with one another in a way where you have that performance uh within the boot on the slope there you have that longevity where the liner doesn't pack out after you know 10 20 30 days whatever it is there at the same time that you get that really good fit out of the box that can still be customized and like 
know, there's no small feat to get all of those things into one package there. And especially with, with some of the material changes we've making recently where we're um, trying to integrate a little bit more of a sustainable approach. So using some of the materials we're getting back from the recycling boot program that's existing in Europe there um, and integrating those into the new production liners there. So what you'll see for uh, for essentially delivering next year is an entire refresh through the uh, the Mach 1 line, both uh, on the men's side as well as the women's side, where you know the, the kind of first thing was, all right, how do we take the existing platform fit performance customization, all the things that I mentioned, keep those as through lines, but get them just a little bit more comfortable right out of the box. I mean, CAS in the first generation a decade ago had that fit performance customization, but that fit one was pretty harsh and aggressive for sure. It was definitely like, oh, you know, if you're coming out of race boots, like you really like that fit. If this is maybe your first, um, you know, more expensive or premium or high-end boot there, like definitely a little bit more of an aggressive fit right out of the box than uh than some of the the you know let's say other options on the market there. So what we're doing for for next year is hopefully maintaining those same tenant tenants uh customization, performance, longevity, and just kind of updating the first initial fit to have a little bit more, let's say, wow factor right out of the box there. So, you know, making some updates, um, getting a little bit more comfortable, but at the same time keeping those uh those you know really important through lines for how Technica wants to be perceived and ultimately uh have boots in the, the larger all mountain category if that's what we want to call Mach one. Yeah. And it's interesting that you'll, some of the new stuff will come out on, on one of the boots in the line. Uh, for example, Angela's heard the story and, and Christian was part of the story. He might not remember, but when you came out with T drive on, on the, it didn't come in the low volume the first year. I think it came out on the medium volume. And so Troy and I were like, Hey, we're talking to Nick Blaylock and like, maybe we can get those parts. Can we like put some holes in and get the carbon piece on the back? And I, I remember sending email. you an email. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I remember getting an email back and going, yes, I don't recommend you do that. And I don't want you to do that. <laughs> and I won't send you the parts. So even if you get them from someone else other than me, please don't do that. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was one of those like, let, let us do that. Let us build the boot. <laughs> the drive there. Uh, yeah, it's the, so, so for like the listeners that maybe aren't totally familiar with that, with how Technica lays out the, the mock collections, a lot of manufacturers approach the, the sort of fit uh, portfolios within that category very vertically. Like you'd have a 98 millimeter category, you'd have a 100 millimeter wide category, and then your your 103s. For us, we, we looked at the space and it's like you know, the person didn't choose whether they have a wide foot or narrow foot. Likewise, you know, like that wide or narrow foot doesn't know whether it's attached to a high-performance skier or a sport-performance skier. So we, we lay out the category much more horizontally where 130s, 120s, 110s, 100s on the men's side and then obviously the corresponding fits on the on the women's side we try to as much as possible have the performance the same and the aesthetic the same across all of those flexes and keep the performance there and then just kind of delineate them by model that way you know when you walk into a boot shop or you know if you're like me and you have a high volume foot but consider yourself a, a high performance skier you're not pigeonholed into a boot that you know is just sport performance because it is wide like there you can have that high performance fit in a high volume application there so Bringing that all the way back around to, to where we're talking about T-Drive is the handcuffs of that is it is unlikely that you will ever have the, let's say, development capacity within a given year to update all of your all-mountain boots in a single year. So especially with T-Drive, where you know that's a pretty significant mold overhaul in order to get the, the spine of the boot re-engineered between the cuff and the lower shell, refine the kind of... Um, uh, plastic wall thicknesses and the sort of overall anatomy of the boot there. Like you're talking about the first year, it dropped in that MV boot and we're like, oh, we have something super cool here. How rapidly can we get it to, to LV? How rapidly can we get it to HV? 
And the and the challenge of the volume concept we refer to as the handcuffs usually is that it's about three years <laughs> to get all three models done. Um, so even if you have something super cool, it takes a little bit to to get it to every single yeah. model in the line. Yeah, is there sometimes that that happens that you're still looking for, you know, not necessarily like, hey, we'll see if this works, but you're not sure it works on another boot or on the ski. Sometimes if it's a little different, you know, because when we go from a low volume to high volume, is it? Was there some difference in how the T-Drive reacted? I don't know. Is it the same? T-Drive uh, is one of those ones that, you know, once we sort of got the fundamental understanding about how it was changing the, the performance within within the MV there, because uh, T-Drive, when it first came out in that MV, was also a new MV mold, a new MV shape that was designed with the, the notion that we we're using T-Drive. So understanding sort of interactions about how that changed energy moving through the boot, the boots fitting and functioning, we were able to pretty quickly apply that to, to LV and HV and kind of just change the anatomy of the boot uh, to better work with T-Drive versus, say, adapting T-Drive to the to the different fit options there. Um, but it's one of the cool things about just like how technology works across the uh, the whole line where, I mean, do you do you know where T-Drive came from as far as like the the ideation, the notion within within the collection, no. it came from the uh, the the zero G boots actually, which is a, a hilarious concept. Where lots of brands talk about like you know what World Cup racing as far as innovation kind of um, teaches them about what they can do with the rest line. For us, it's been the case that more often than not, our our innovations or our new technologies have come from the walking world because those boots are so wild that you need to have a bunch of performance and it needs to have the cuff be free and it needs you know X Y Z in in those boots. So when we launched the what was the new zero G boot in uh, in the 1920 collection there, 2019, 20 season, uh, we used a walk mechanism that had like a double blocking feature in it. It was connected up high, down low, kind of had a really extended spine, completely changed dramatically how well that boot could work with really lightweight materials and thin walls. And it was like this, this, you know, holy shit moment, a little bit of like, oh, wow, that had a pretty dramatic influence over the, uh, the performance within the boot here and immediately kind of launched us on the path of like, okay, like, how do you get that and can you use that in an all-mountain line? And that eventually is what uh, what obviously turned into T-Drive there, which at the end of the day, T-Drive obviously has a lot of materials and, and sort of interaction within the boot there. But it has just changed the connection point of instead of being pinned and just two kind of bolts right in the back of the boot, you're opening up that lever arm and having more material kind of pull from and interact with and, and make the boot more efficient. Yeah. It's made it more uniform. I think that's just one of the things I feel it's, you know, that's what Nick was talking about when I, when we were going to that and it, it definitely, it's more consistent. doesn't matter the temperature outside, whatever. I feel like I'm in the same boot every day. Flex that was the goal away. too is yeah. A lot of, a lot of, you know, boots rely on, let's say the, the um, thickness, the density, the kind of like plastic feeling that you're getting there. And so, yeah, obviously if you're skiing on a, on a 50 degree day, uh, versus say a sub sub zero day, like you know, plastic is temperature sensitive and it will have an interaction versus when you're using the the carbon fibers to kind of generate the flex and the power and the feeling. Carbon fiber is not particularly temperature sensitive compared to to you know the plastics that we're using in ski boots there. So exactly like you said, you know, amongst all of the other like performance benefits that you get uh, with T drive unto itself is also less temperature sensitivity of the performance of your of your boot day to day. Yeah. So as, as technology comes from other things, will we see anything in the mock that might be on a different boot right now, like the R boot or? I would say, I mean, yeah, this is, this is now talking about like in a, in a kind of like uh, script flip, if you will, of like what, uh, what World Cup racing is learning from, uh, from the retail line is that, uh, you know, Laura Coltori, who's, uh, who's one of our, you know, young guns on the, on the World Cup there, you know, for quite a while, she was working with a, uh, with a Firebird boot there that had a, you know, R and D version of, uh, of T drive there. And so 
you know, this is one of those like definitely can't volunteer too much about what's coming down the line there, but <laughs> it's one of those like as a brand and as a as a collection, like, you know, definitely paying attention, testing lots of things and and surprisingly, as far as like, you know, in, in my world, uh, you know, a lot of it coming from what we're already doing in the existing let's say retail, if you want to put that in, in air quotes, like retail line as opposed to the, uh, to the Firebird line and, and World Cup lines there. Yeah. <laughs> I know something's coming. <laughs> <laughs> and and you got um, a lot of the boot companies and I, I know Technic is also, um, you're going to have some BOAs on some stuff. I think we have it on a couple now, don't we, this year? Yeah, and obviously, you know, for for the the keen observers within the market, we know that you know Bo was a massive, massive conversation this last year. There were four brands that kind of uh, jumped into it the last cycles, kind of did some early intro product, even uh, even last winter. Um, and you know, for us, I mean, Bo, the supplier, as it was, uh, approached us around the same time as they they did those manufacturers. And for us, I mean, what we happened to be working on in that particular cycle was Kochi's HVs and a four buckle junior boot. So there wasn't like a a project immediately on the desk there that we were like, oh, like. Clearly, that is a logical place to, to put this closure mechanism. And as we always do with, with technologies and innovation and whatever it is, I mean, we wanted to take it in-house, test it, really understand it, see how it changed the sort of fit of the lower shells there. So over the last two years, we've really been working and understanding, trying to figure out how we could utilize the, the Boa Fit system within, uh, within our collection. So what you'll see from us delivering next year is a, is a line of Boa boots done in an HV application because it was our finding that to really have that uh, that sort of like wrapping feeling over the top of the foot, you need quite a lot of material in the lower shell there to allow it to kind of drag across the top of the foot, as well as some nice soft liner material to really get that kind of wrapping closure type of feeling there. So it's a it's an additive line of boots, so it's not replacing anything within Mach 1 or Mach Sport right now. Um, we're referring to it as Mach Boa uh, to basically point out like it's an HV line. It's done with the same sort of ideology of fixed cuff um, and you know, performance all mountain of, uh, of the mock line, but done with that BOA closure system across the, uh, the lower there. So for us, it's exciting because it's a little bit different than what a lot of other manufacturers did where they, they took an existing line of boots and here's your buckle version, here's your BOA version. We tried to do it in a little bit more intentional and specifically designed way about here's a dedicated HV lower shell with a setup that doesn't replace anything that we've already got in line. It is purely a different execution if you like the feeling of the, of the fit of BOA on your lower foot there. Yeah. And with the with the boot lines, um, with the the CAS liners and and the boot shells are are designed around so you can mold. They're designed. I mean, the, our shells are are designed around the foot anatomy also with the liners matching up. Um, and that that definitely you know you you're working on trying to get people in a boot right away and almost no work on it. it's like wow this is great and I know this year I put my foot in the boot and usually we 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 heat the liner put it in there then Nick's got to go he's got to grind a couple spots I said you're gonna grind that spot he said do you feel it I'm like no but we've ground it for like four years <laughs> and he said it's it's another piece of the liners that, that that we went into with this year that we didn't have to grind a couple spots and and my my question is. It, that's definitely helping the retailers with less work and being able to fit things more. Is are, is that still part of it? Also, I mean, I know it helps when a when a customer puts the boot on and they're done and they can walk out the door. But it it's definitely, I think, the uh, retailers love that piece of it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a uh, you know we still believe in boot fitting as a as you know a really important tenant within within boot sales. But at the same time, also you know there are lots more customers out there. There are a lot of boots being sold in the world, and so you need to have the full spectrum of, of boots within the line there, the ones that like 
You know, if you take a, a World Cup plug boot where it's like, all right, like we're going to be spending hours grinding and shaping this thing to your foot all the way to, you know, some of the other boots in the line that are much more like, hey, I'm going to be skiing a couple days a year. Like it's not super important that I have crazy fit tension within this boot here. So what we try to do and, and sort of that like same redescribing the, the layup of the mock line there, like we try to have the highest flex boots there with a little bit more of that notion of like, Yes, they're, they fit really, really well out of the box and can be comfortable and hopefully don't need a lot of work, but they still have that same level of customization in there um, if you need to do it. And the, and the if is the important part where it's like, let's build in the capability to customize if you have to do it, but not necessarily the requirement to do it if you don't, if it fits great out of the box. And then as we go through the, like, let's say the, you know, the lower price point models within the line or the, say the less uh, committed um, skiers there, it's like, how do we optimize those boots so that they're just super comfy right out of the box. And, you know, ideally you don't need to do really much work to be able to enjoy it and get out for the couple of days a year that, that you're looking to with that boot. Yeah. And you talked a little about the zero G and I'm, I'm curious if, if you're going to have the new zero G boot on while you're going uphill this week. I sure will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the other one we've been working on for, for a year now. Um, you know, updating the, the kind of, um, the zero G boot that we've had for, for some seasons now, I mentioned it was kind of fully launched in the, in the 2019, 2020 season there. That was like, we'd had a boot named zero G prior to that, but that, that was really the first time we'd done a, a dedicated project with the double blocking mechanism there, completely dedicated lower shelf fits. And, uh, our goal being a, an Alpine and performance brand was really to, to move into that walking world space and say, all right, like, we're technically let's make a boot that skis as well as it possibly can downhill. And then it's just relevant in the, in the weight and walkability aspects there. So, you know, working on the new one here, cause obviously now we're in uh we're in 2024 now and that, you know, 2019, 20 season for some doesn't feel like that long ago. Even for me, it doesn't, you know, saying it aloud doesn't feel like that long ago, but in product life terms, that is, that is quite a while ago now. So when we dug into updating the, uh, the new one here, it still felt like for us, the, the philosophy of focused on performance, downhill performance, that is, uh, and then just being relevant in the weight and walkability was still kind of like right attitude to have to the category. But as you had a boot in the line for quite a while, I mean, I mentioned the laundry list of, of things to improve across, whether it was rustlers and Shivas or the, the bull skis or, you know, even in the, in the mock world there, like at that point with how many people have been in those boots, how long, you know, a lot of people have been utilizing them and, and kind of exploring new spaces. We had a pretty long laundry list of like, even if we're not going to change the fundamental position of the boot, what are the things we could improve here? So the, the new zero G boot that we've got coming out is, is not a repositioning of that boot from a, let's say how it fits within the overall category or necessarily within our, our own line, but it's hopefully just taking that, you know, the, the boot that everybody loved and take it to the next level. So walks a little bit better. It's a little bit lighter weight, skis a little bit better. I know I'm sort of like doing the trust me promise uh, <laughs> quote there, but like, you know, genuinely it was just the goal to try and take the existing platform we had and, and take it to the next level there. Yeah. Angela, we got to get some zero G's and huh? start going uphill. Yeah, I could go uphill more. I know he's, he's looking <laughs> at the catalog right now. He's looking at his other screen and he's looking shop, at the catalog. I've been shopping. <laughs> yeah, put the little shopping cart together. You got an 84 on there, an 88. Oh, God. He's got yeah, his new boot. Anyone considering, I mean, it's a, you know, aside from the, the places you can go and the terrain that you can access that is, you know, unbelievable as far as the, the just conditions you can ski. I mean, it is an insane workout. I mean, think yeah. about a Stairmaster with weights on your feet is kind of the, the program, what you're actually going uphill there. And so even just the fitness aspect alone, again, my like, sort of perspective only getting into the into the space let's say six years ago uh or, or so ago now it's like 
it's such a fun space to be in. Like ski touring is incredibly cool with where it can take you and and the the sort of different aspect of skiing it unlocks than just riding chairlifts and you know making turns. Yeah, yeah and, and the satisfaction of doing it. There's nothing like earning your turns, you know. And oh yeah, <laughs> we we have so many options presently to go to a to a corporate environment and and have a good time. Nice to have options to go to a different yeah. sort of environment and have a Absolutely. good time, you know? Yeah. I mean, if you told people that you went to a resort or, you know, anywhere and took one run, they kind of be like, well, why'd you go? Versus if you walk to the top of the mountain, suddenly yeah. the one run feels incredible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the thing, the things you learn, the way, the way, the way it brings, um, the way it brings skiing and snowboarding. And I like, I'm including the idea of like split boarding and that kind of thing, just going out and learning that, that not everything's groomed, that, that mm -hmm. there are, that there are signs and they like, make sure you ski on that grass that's poking out of that snow because the grass is going to hold the snow back like just rule you know things that put you in touch with the reality of what the sport can be when it's not so manicured at a resort you know just mm -hmm. it, it's a whole new it's a whole new world totally and how fast now will you have to start thinking about down the road six years for something above the anomaly what's going to be in the anomaly then i mean when does it start i mean there must be already a couple things just in terms of technology you're looking at that might not be the anomaly line but you know how does that work because it can't start like oh we're going to wait three years and think about something yeah we, we typically always have a let's say a five to ten year kind of like project charter even if like you have no idea what you're going to do in the space so, you know like you know we you refresh the russell shiva project in the um, 22, 23 season, then you're like, all right, like probably coming back to that in the whatever that would be 28, 29 season there or something like that. Like you typically are, are um, aware well enough in advance when you're going to be coming back to certain categories or just kind of like the ebb and flow of like products getting a little bit long in the tooth, even if, you know, like a zero G boot, they're working great, but you probably got a list of things you'd, you'd improve with them. So we're usually thinking pretty far out as far as what we're actually testing. Um, you know, again, there's that difference between like, you know, we know we're we're working on this project that we're going to deliver a season from now, two seasons from now. Um, that has a pretty like regimented like we need to go through certain milestones and have molds on time and you know like kind of sign off on constructions and graphics and things like that. And then there's the like sort of completely separate from being tied to a project like the R and D of like okay, we got this new material and we want to see what it does and maybe it's applicable to this category or this category or something like that. That kind of operates fully independently and not necessarily attached to a to a project there and that's that's happening all the time and it's typically that sort of like you know close to the factory um our you know head of engineering head of development and head of the test team like you know some of the, i think their most fun days when they've just like slammed something crazy that they know very little about into an existing mold and like just go see what it does see how it, <laughs> see how it feels like and a lot of times i'm sure it's a uh, all right don't need to do that again and then there's a few times where it's like well like there's something yeah. there play a little rock paper scissors at the top yep, yep exactly <laughs> you know you first you, you should drop in that first for yeah. sure yeah go bud yeah i'll get so, i'll film i'll video yeah <laughs> so can we look back at any anything you know some of the promotional stuff that there may have but might have been a graphic of a bona fide or or something on a graphic and maybe marcus was skiing something different was he you know i mean how does the testing go does it sometimes you have some of your high level athletes out there like marcus or some of the other crew um skiing on stuff that has a graphic on it that is a current ski but they're testing something else yes there are <laughs> 
<laughs> infinite games uh, to play about like how you can be testing something uh, in the future with a current graphic. That way, like, you know, the person in the lift line, this is like, takes a casual look at uh, say Marcus's skis, you know, wouldn't notice something. And then there's also the other game too, where it's like, you know, you're going to be uh, delivering something like, do you make a graphic that like, is like kind of obviously an outlier and like is nodding to something and like telling an interesting story. Like the, the Russell and Shiba skis, for example, we were doing a, a pretty big athlete test in Jackson hole, like whatever that was two marches ago. And it was at the same time as there was going to be uh, the free skier test there. There were going to be a bunch of industry people like, we didn't intentionally set it up where it was like, let's be right there at the same time as the free skier test. It happened to work out. They were like, okay, like this is all happening in Jackson Hole at the same time. And all of those skis, we wrote, this is a test in giant letters, had like flagrantly white outlier top sheets. It was like, rather than like trying to hide something with an existing graphic, when you can see the construction is different, like let's call it out and have people like, oh, <laughs> what are they yeah. doing? And so, yeah, there's, there's the infinite games and, uh, and yeah, you, you have full spectrum of uh, hiding it all the way to kind of advertising it. <laughs> and and how do you get it out to, I mean, you, you definitely want a broad spectrum. So thinking of like our PSA guys, our national team members, they all, you don't just like send out, hey, they're all getting an 84. And um, I mean, Jonathan might get something in the Firebird line and one of the other crew might get something else. I mean, how do you have, are they, are they asking you or you're saying, hey, what would you like? We got these things to try. Yeah, I mean, all the all the PSIA guys, you know, are, are so closely connected to the brand as far as you know what's going on within the line, what the changes are, and you know, obviously, also thinking about their quiver and how they use the gear. So, you know, we certainly let's say register an opinion of like for this year, like Anomaly eighty eight is going to be a super important ski, and so like with a with a blue, for example, like would say out loud, like, hey, like you know, Anomaly is new, Anomaly is super important. Would love to have you on one of those skis within the line, but at the same time, like they're also not being dictated. Like you have yeah. to have the Anomaly one hundred two, and blue's like, well. It's not my ski. I wouldn't necessarily use that. So it's a it's a give and take between uh, yeah. between all the athletes and the and the brand about what's important, what we're trying to advertise. But at the same time, like you know, there are some of the best skiers in the world. Like they know better than us. Like again, I'm not going to use that ski. It doesn't serve a purpose for for how I ski. So give yeah. and take back and forth for sure. Yeah. And and how many gambles do you take? Like, are there some things that you you throw into the testing and you're like, we're not sure, but this is something we want to try. Cause I mean, you can't do that a lot if you're doing it because it costs money. Yeah. And there's, you know, uh, I'd probably call them moonshots <laughs> more <laughs> often than, uh, than, uh, than trials. Usually we've, we've thoroughly thought through things and, and gotten a lot of feedback about a direction we're adding. I mean, like the, the anomaly name change would be an example there where it's like, collective inhale, you're putting the bull series to bed and then uh and inventing a new name and kind of moving in a new direction. So there are things like that that you're you're not sure it's gonna work out. Like when we had the embargo date um kind of release on uh, on anomaly, like we got exactly I would say the reaction um that we were sort of expecting, which is about half of the people are like, oh that's super cool, exciting, like interested in what Blizzard's doing. And then half of people are like, oh like I love my bona fides. Like well, the skis better be good. And so even when you're sort of like taking leaps of faith there, they've hopefully been been well vetted. Uh, but at the end of the day, like they are always leaps of faith. Like if we're talking about uh, both Black Pearl that we you know mentioned as far as, you know, the importance of that ski and how many are selling, like hasn't hit retail walls yet. Like not a lot of uh, average consumers have been on that. They've been tested thoroughly. We feel super good about them, especially the 94, like I think is the one of the best skis we've ever made. But you know, it's a leap of faith for sure to actually deliver it to the public and kind of like, I'm sure every parent has the, has the notion of like sending their kid off to college. It's kind of like that, or it's like, I hope you're, you're prepared and ready. <laughs> yeah. Think about the Coke, Coke and Coke classic. 
You remember that disaster? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. and, and when can, I mean, because I know you're going to launch to your retailers and that and out to them first. That's probably a lot of what's going on next week. Um, but w- when can people actually see them in the stores or in the demo fleet? Will it not be till next fall? Will it be some stuff? I know sometimes some of the line gets there before the end of the season. Yeah, for us, knowing just, you know, how important the, the current Black Pearls are, current uh, Bonafides, Brahmas, uh, all of those skis are within the line. Uh, we really wanted to give the chance for, you know, people who wanted those skis and, are, and are, you know, uh, it's not often the brand tells you when something is going to go away and gives you the chance to, like, go get one more pair. That way, you know, hopefully a few years from now when you're, like, you know, looking at the Bonafide in your garage and it's in plastic, you can have that experience of, like, <laughs> you know, taking it out and, like, getting back on that ski that you love for so long. Um, so our goal is very much to like let the Bonafides, Brahmas, Black Pearls, even Mach and, and Zero G to some extent, like live within the market, kind of tell people what's new from, from the brand for next fall, but ultimately I'll have all of it available uh, in stores, you know, really starting in probably August is when you'd see it, see it kind of, you know, more broadly available. Cool. That's uh, a class move to give those enthusiasts of a particular ski an opportunity to grab some kudos to you guys for that. I appreciate it. Yeah. It's, it, it's not often that brands like tell you when something's going away. Usually it's just like the following fall and like, here it is. And like, oh yeah, that favorite ski that, you know, you've loved for a long, long time, like discontinued. And so, yeah, hopefully, you know, for, for especially, you know, the, the bull skis, but you know, maybe even within there, like whether it's a Bonafide or a Cochise, lots of people are like, all right, like, you know, won't be able to get that, you know, two years from now, maybe I should go, you know, get one more pair and take it out of the wrapper. Uh, you know, have it as a, as a ski for later on, you know, when you want to have a new one. Well, this has been awesome, Angelo. We finally get the scoop and all of our listeners get the scoop early, man, as stuff comes out. Cause I mean, this is really what a week or two that you've kind of had the promotion out there. I started on Facebook, I think like a week, week and a half ago. It's, it's like, well, time to get it out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So starting to unveil some of the, uh, to the, you know, it's again that sending your kid to college, like starting to unveil some of the projects that have been a long time in the works for us, but yeah. you know, now we're getting the, uh, this sort of public attention. So it's an exciting, but also for sure stressful time. Well, this has been cool, man. Thanks so much for taking the time to sit down with us. I, I hope you'll come back um, as we have some new stuff or, or let some folks know next fall, maybe how or where they can go get them, where they can test them, when they can do some demos and that would be great. And I know you're a New Hampshire guy. You're not too far away. So hopefully we'll catch up at some point. It'd be great to go skiing and uh, see if like I can keep up to, with you. Sounds huh? like we need to get Christian on here with Leslie and hear some of the yes, antics that, that w- when she was coaching him. Yeah, <laughs> she, oh. you, she still hasn't gotten my hands in order as far as still you know, really hectic <laughs> through the turn. But yeah, doing a co-podcast there would be awesome. And talking that would be great. Absolutely. So thanks a bunch. It was great. And uh, thanks everybody out there for listening. This has been The Fall Line with Chaos and Company. <laughs>